Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. next few weeks, we are going to spend time talking about parenting, and I think we're all kind of included in that, aren't we? And, uh, you know, I, I know with myself, I, I've, got, I've got two boys. I've got one boy in college, and I've got another son who's a junior in high school, and the question that I think goes through my wife and I's mind all the time is, is, did we really prepare our kids correctly? I mean, are they really ready? You know, are they ready for the real world? Did I tell them everything they needed to know? Did I prepare them for life? And I pretty much come to the conclusion that the answer is no, I, I did not do it. And I figure out why in the world didn't I say everything or prepare them all the right ways to do everything. Well, the reason I didn't is because I was busy. I was busy raising my kids. I didn't have time to tell them all this stuff. <laughs> we had to put food on the table and change diapers and do all that kind of stuff like that. So you know how that is. But uh, I, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I, I'll never forget the terror. And, and I do mean terror. The, uh, I think it was terror. Yeah, terror for me. I don't know about my wife, but when our first child was born and we were leaving the hospital. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you left the hospital the first time? And, and what do they do at the hospitals? The, the nurse carries the baby out to the car. You know why they do that? Because you don't know how to carry a kid, right? And they, and they put the car in the kid in the car seat and they strap it on. And then you're kind of you're going around the car and you're getting in the car. Do you remember that moment? And you're thinking, she... She's getting in too, right? I mean, she's coming with us, right? The nurse is going to go with us to the home to help us the first time, you know? And what's she doing? She's sitting there at the part, you know. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, come back. Are you kidding me? Come back, you know? And, and we get in the car, we close the doors, and it was pretty much like terror. Like, what are we doing? How many of you remember that moment? Do you remember that when you did that? And you're just kind of like, this is ours. Like, who kid, whose kid is that? Whose kid's crying? <laughs> That's your kid. <laughs> but uh, but that's, that's kind of what it was, and I remember that. And, and uh, since that time, I'll tell you what, what Amy and I have done. And this is where we're going to kind of base this series off. I've done a lot of parenting series. You could listen to our stuff online. I have a lot of stuff. Uh, but this one's going to take a little bit different approach. And, and, and how this series is going to go is here's what we did. My wife and I, uh, we were kind of like sponges when we had our kids. I know a lot of you are the same way. And, th- and that was this. We consciously took an effort to observe other couples with kids because we wanted to see what they did. We did this too. We looked at couples with kids that were really bad. And we were like, okay, <laughs> oh boy, we don't want one of them. What are they doing? How, how are they doing it so that we don't end up with something like that, you know? And, and we were just, we'd look and we'd, we read probably every book on parenting Matter of fact, I'll give a disclaimer right now for this series. Just here, here's just a, one big disclaimer for the next few weeks. Uh, I've read a ton of books. I've listened to a ton of messages. Uh, I've watched a ton of videos on child raising. And, and 
none of this stuff is mine. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is stuff I've gotten from other people. It, I'll probably quote other people. I'll probably give other people's ideas, and I don't even remember whose it was. So for whoever it was that I got these ideas from and th- this input from, thank you. I appreciate it. But, but I don't remember who you were. So, so we just got, we were just like a sponge. We just took everyone's information, everyone's advice, any book that we could possibly read. And I tell you what, I'll give you this. We had a really unique advantage, though, uh, because of this, because at the time when our boys were born, we were serving as youth directors at our church. And uh, we worked in the Iwana clubs, and we worked with the junior hires and the high schoolers and stuff. And so we had a lot of interaction with parents and a lot of interaction with parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers. And, and we kind of saw some of the good examples and the bad examples. And we saw the healthy relationships and the not healthy relationships. And what we started doing is, like I said, we were sponge. We started talking to these people and said, what did you do? Your kid, you have a good relationship with your teenager. How did you do that? What, what is going on? And it seemed, like, it seemed like the parents that we talked to that were just had a great relationship and, and their kids were turning out well, and they, they seemed like they had it kind of together. We had talked to those parents, and it just seemed like the universal response was, I don't know, we, we just, we just kind of loved on them. But I know better. I know they didn't just, well, I don't know. There, there was a plan. There was a direction. There was a purpose. There was a reason. There was a why. There was a map that they were following. And so maybe they didn't realize it. Maybe they didn't see it. Maybe it was just natural to them. But my wife and I said, you know, we just want to get this right. And, and, and uh, so there's a few things here. You've got a worksheet there in your program. I want you to take a look at that worksheet. If you want to write some notes in the back of it, you may want to do this. But, but of all the things that we saw, I'm going to give you just a few things today. Well, we're going to try to get done. We had the parent uh, dedication, so it took a little bit of time, but we'll try to move quickly today. So fasten your seatbelt, right? Get ready. Um, here's one of the first things that we saw. The, one of the first things that we saw with parents that kept a good relationship really with their children was this. There we go. Parents maintained strong relationships. They maintained strong relationships. And, and even through middle school and even through high school, it seemed like the kids that were turning out, the parents had a really good, strong relationship with their kid. They really knew their kids. And, and I, think, I think because of the relationships, I think those parents that had strong relationships, I think those, it, seemed like, it seemed like those parents had less rules for their kids. I, I don't know, maybe that's not true or not, but it seemed like the parents that had all the rules and their kids were always in timeout or their kids were always grounded or they were always on restriction. To me, it seemed like the kids that were always on restriction, always being grounded, were always on restriction, always being grounded, and they kept getting worse and worse and worse and they weren't necessarily getting better. But it was something about the parents that had a strong relationship with their kids. It seemed like that they had less rules and it seemed like their kids were on restriction or being grounded less than other kids. I'm just saying, this is just what we observed and what we kind of saw. And we're going to kind of develop these things and, and kind of dig into them a little bit. So don't, don't worry too much about it. But, but it just kind of seems like that's what we saw. That, that these kids, that, that they really had a strong relationship, even again, not just as a baby, but through middle school and through high school. And, and the second thing that we saw that we noticed about these parents was, was this. And this is a big one. We noticed this, that the parents were not afraid of their children. Now, <laughs> those of you without kids, you're sitting here and you're laughing right now, right? You're going, you know, those of you that aren't married yet, 
Well, what parent would be afraid of their kids? <laughs> Here's my answer. Most parents are afraid of their kids. But, but when we, we observed and when we were taking notes on this and, and looking at, at parents that had just, like I said, wonderful relationship with their kids, their kids were turning out, part of that equation is their kids, you know, kids weren't leaving church when they graduated high school, they were staying in church, is that we just saw that the parents were not afraid of their kids. They didn't fear the children. Let me just say this, parents, and take a note on this. If, if you fear your children, the reality is this, is that your children are probably in charge of the relationship that you have with them. If you fear them. If, if, as a matter of fact, if you fear your children, those very children are probably in charge of your marriage relationship. Because you fear them, and they're running it. And, and, and part of that fear, now, Pastor Dan, what, what do you mean about mom and dads not fearing their children? Well, they didn't fear the rejection of their children. They didn't fear the rejection of their children. And, and you know why that is? Is because I think there's sometimes, a lot of times, parents are afraid their kids are going to reject them. And therefore, listen, they're afraid to discipline their children biblically because they're afraid of rejection. Now, I knew a lot of kids, and kind of in our studies and our, our following, that the parents may have used the world's view of disciplining their children because the parents were afraid of rejection. It didn't work. The parents that literally, truly were not afraid of their children, were not afraid of rejection, they were also not afraid to discipline them with the guidelines of this book. They, they weren't afraid of their kids. Their kids didn't run the household. They ran the household. And then the third thing that we saw when we were looking at this is with these extraordinary parents is, is this, that, that they rejected, or I should say they really prioritized the relationship, and I, I want you to get this, I'm going to take a few minutes to explain it. They prioritized the relationship over the experience. So they prioritized the relationship over the experience. Now, Pastor Dan, what do you mean by that, the relationship over the experience? Well, here's, here's the deal. Mom and dads usually prioritize the fact that they were, the relationship between them, the relationship between the siblings, that was more important to them over the experiences that they would uh, experience in the world, meaning this. A lot of times parents are so concerned about the experience that they get their kids going in a hundred different directions. The priority isn't the relationship. The priority is the experience. Now, don't hate me, but I'm just telling you what we observed. Is that fair enough? Can I just, can I just tell you what I observed? Okay. The parents that made sure you're in Taekwondo on Tuesdays, you're in dance on Wednesdays, you're in gymnastics on Thursdays, and then Saturday you're at Little League, and then Sunday afternoon you got soccer practice. And there's all these experiences, and you got to be in the, and you got to be on the traveling hockey team, and you got to go do this, and you got to do this. They were so concerned about the experiences, they never prioritized the relationship. The problem that I have with being too focused on experiences, and I'm, I'm all for experiences, okay? The problem is that when you take your child and drop them off at Taekwondo, who's raising that child while they're there? The coaches. Not you. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm watching them. That's nice. But you're not living out the, the, the relationship with them. And I'm not saying that that's bad and all things. I'm just saying that, that when the experiences pull your family in a hundred different directions and you're doing so many different things because we want to have the experiences, you are forfeiting the relationship on, on the altar of having the experiences, okay? 
And, and it's just, sometimes parents, you just need to say, time out. It's just like enough is enough. So I'm just saying, in the, in the relationships that we saw, in the parents that we saw, in the years and years of observation, you know, I've been a pastor 33 years now. Um, I've been at the front seat of an awful lot of child raising, okay? I, I've experienced, I've seen an awful lot of stuff, probably more than anybody else in this room has seen. I'm just telling you, just because of where I've been and what I've done. And the parents that their kids made it, the parents that kept a good relationship with their kids, the parents whose kids didn't leave the church, they focused on the relationship more than the experiences. Matter of fact, I'd probably say most of those parents had very little experiences because they spent so much time with the relationship, okay? Again, we can talk about that some more. But, but here's another thing that, that I want to spend some time on. We got some time. And, and we're going to spend the rest of our time on this today. And let me say in this one, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. Because again, I'm telling you from my experience, from what we observed, and I want you to understand clearly what it is I'm going to try to talk about. And, and there's a good chance I won't explain this right because, well, I'll tell you this. This next, this next one, I almost didn't talk about. I just, I was like, man, I shouldn't cover that. This is a series on parenting. Why in the world should I do this? People are going to get offended over it. It's not going to sit well. I got to make sure I explain to them. <laughs> so let me say it, and then I'm going to explain it, okay? So let me just say it, and then I'm going to explain it. So here, here's what it is. That we notice that parents, that kids really made it. We notice this, that, that those parents, now just listen, they had what I would consider a healthy marriage. Now, I didn't say a perfect marriage. I said a healthy marriage. Now, just listen. Listen to this whole thing, and I want you to understand this. I sometimes think the best gift that we can give to our children in raising them is a healthy marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but a healthy marriage. It's probably the best parenting tool. Now, I know. I say that, and for some of you in this room, you just took your pen, you turned it off, you set it down, you folded up your notes, and you said, I'm done. I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> but you can't leave because the doors are locked. You've got to stay here. <laughs> but no, I get that because, because the reality is, the reality is, is, is having a perfect marriage is not going to happen right now. It just, it's just not. It, it just it can't happen. It couldn't happen. It's just, and you say, well, maybe that's bad news or maybe that's discouraging news. But, but I don't want us to look at it like that. And, and again, like I said, I was very tempted to skip this part because it's easier for me to not talk about marriage when I'm talking about parenting. Because, because I know this. I know that divorce is real. I know that single parenting is real. And, and I know that this conversation would be a whole lot easier if I didn't talk about marriage. I know that this conversation, ah, I'll say this. I know that this conversation would be more politically correct if I didn't talk about marriage. I know that it'd be socially correct. I know it'd be a whole lot more comfortable but if, if I were just to set aside the notion of a nuclear family, this would be a lot easier conversation. But I think it's a really important conversation that we need to have this morning when we're talking about child raising, and that is adding marriage to the equation and adding, adding a healthy marriage to the equation. Because I think the nuclear family is something that you don't talk about anymore. Now, first question you're going to ask me, Pastor Dan, what's a nuclear family? Okay, the nuclear family, <laughs> you know, when I first heard that term, I thought, like, what, they lived like out in... Nevada or something like that, and part of Chernobyl testing. Or, yeah. The nuclear family is, is ready, is, is just a husband and a wife married, living together with the children under one roof, okay? Dad, mom, kids under one roof, and, and that's, 
That's something we don't hear about too much. That's something that's almost kind of become a political, a social issue. But, but, but guys, listen. If we just don't talk about that for a moment, okay, I'm not, the purpose is not a guilt trip. The purpose is not to make you feel bad. That's not, I'm just saying, if we don't talk about marriage for a moment, then, then we truly, we really, are, we really are robbing not only our kids but the next generation, okay, our grandkids from understanding what this is and how important this is. Because, because if you're like me, I'm just going to be honest right now. i just totally honest. I feel really uncomfortable right now. Now, don't raise your hand that you feel uncomfortable too, but I hope it's just me. But talking about this, just, it just is not a comfortable thing to talk about. It's just not. Why is it not? Because I know this. I know this. I know that the Bible, now just listen, the Bible sets up standards for what is the ideal, okay? This is the way ideally it should be. The reality, though, is that in this room in a church this size, we have what is known as the, the real world, right? There's the ideal, and then there's the real. The real versus the ideal. The ideal is what the Bible says and what God says and what, what the Scriptures say. This is really how I planned it. But the real is where we're living right now, okay? The real is welcome to the year 2020. Welcome to, welcome to bad marriages. Welcome to abusive marriages. Welcome to domestic violence. Welcome to not being married. Welcome to the definition of family. The definition of a married couple is totally changed. So, so the real versus the ideal, sometimes you know, the ideal just seems like it's absolutely positively out of reach because it looks like it's something that only the Western culture does. It looks like something that only Christians do. It looks like it's too American, you know. But it's not. God still has a plan for how we live our lives, and that's the ideal. But God also knows this. God also knows that there is the real. Let me explain it this way. And I want you to kind of understand this for a moment. The very beginning of the Bible, God, the very first couple that lived, their names were Adam and Eve, and, and you could read about the story in the book of Genesis. The ideal was that God literally woke up in the morning and walked with them in the garden every day and spent time with them before they had kids. But the real world is what? Is that they started blaming each other. They did things that God didn't ask them to do. They had kids, and then the kids ended up what? Well, one of them ended up killing each other. He was a murderer. <laughs> God had the ideal plan, but he knows that there's a real plan, that, that, that what's really happening. In the midst of that, before that even happened, here's what the cool part is. The cool part is God says, you know what? Here, I'm setting up the ideal. This is the way it should be. But I know this is the way they're going to live. And, and so God said, I'll, I'll set up a plan for that, and, and I, will, I will pay the price for the bad things they've done because I know, I know that man can't live to the ideal all the time. You know, if we look at this verse over here, that's such a cool verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at the beginning. For God so loved the real world. The, the world that was full of what? Sinners. Okay? God said, listen, I know that there's sinners, and, and, and while you're a sinner, where you're a sinner, I love you where you're at, because I know you're going to sin. I know that in the real world, it's not going to be easy. I know you're not going to live a perfect life. I know that the thing, whole concept of marriage is going to be flushed on the toilet. I get it. But, but in spite of that, I've still set these standards of, of this is what you should aim for. This is what you should be shooting for. But in the midst of that, God so loved the sinful world. He doesn't say and God loved those that were living in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis when everything was perfect. And now that you're not perfect, I don't love you anymore. No, 
I get it. I understand. I set up these ideals, but, but God also knew this, knew this that, that the reality of the life is that there's going to be the real, real world, and, and I need to help take care of that too. Matter of fact, it's interesting. When Jesus came to earth, remember the story of Christmas, born in a manger, right? Lived on earth. He didn't come into a perfect world. The Bible says that he came for sinners. He came to heal the sick. He came, he came for the lame. He came, he came for those people that couldn't live ideal, couldn't be perfect. And in, this, and in the midst of it, in spite of all that, God said, I'm here. I'm going to put myself in the middle of the real world with real sin, and I'm really going to take care of their problems. He said, I'm going to spread my arms on a cross, and I'm going to die on a cross. Three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead, proving that the sin debt was paid, because I know they can't be perfect. That, that's the story of the gospel. So, so, so back, back to our study here on marriage here and kind of understanding this and getting to this. This book sets some pretty high standards, church. But here's the reality of it. Pretty much, well, maybe not every story, but pretty much every story of family in this book is dysfunctional. Meaning this, I, there's really not a story of a family in here that's really living ideal. God set the ideal standards. Here's what I want it to be. Matter of fact, when you look through these stories of all these dysfunctional families in the Bible, it's kind of interesting because most of them are gross, immoral sin. Even by today's standards, you'd sit there and say, that's a disaster. Yeah, and God recorded it in the Bible for all of mankind, for all of history, because what? He knew that he was setting up the, the standards of what's ideal, but he also knew that People are going to have to live in the real world. And they're going to make mistakes, and they're going to do things that hurt them and make choices that they're going to have to pay for for a very long time. So, so I think, if anything, I think Christians, we ought to be comfortable with the set that the Bible is full of people that aren't living the ideal plan that God had. And yet God still loves them, and God still cares for them, right? And, and God still sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay their sin debt. That's the cool part of the whole story, is God gets it, okay? He understands it, and he provided a way to pay the sin debt of mankind. That's the cool part. But we still got that. We still got that concept that there is still the real and, and, and the ideal, and that God really wants us to have the, these, these, uh, these ideas that when we live, we should be living or focusing or at least looking to what the ideal plan is. I'm going to look at some of these today, and we're going to look at these really quickly. I'm going to show you the first one we're going to talk about that we're really focusing on to today. Let's take a look at this, uh, this next slide. Marriage. God set up a plan for marriage, as we're talking about, and, and we'll talk about this one some more in a moment. But I'm just going to give you some of these. That, that it should be, marriage should be one man and one woman for life. God created Adam in the very first book of the Bible to be married to Eve. And I'm not saying this funny, but I'm being serious. Okay, this is not funny, this is not mean. But God did not create Adam and Steve, He created Adam and Eve. Okay, that's not a joke, that's not funny. That's the truth. He meant it for one man to be married to one woman, and that's the ideal situation that God put together to raise children, the nuclear families. Now, church, listen. Let me say this because this is really popular in today's culture. Com communities don't raise children, okay? I was driving by a preschool the other day, and it said, community something, your community is here. This is the beginning of community. Listen, communities don't raise children, okay? They don't. Communities, communities may help a little bit, but parents raise children. Communities are, are kind of the context for raising children, but, but whether it's rural or urban or suburban or whatever, but, but, but 
but communities where the nuclear family is the exception rather than the rule, what happens? Communities where the nuclear family is the exception and not the rule, what happens? Those communities, the government steps in. The government steps in. The government helps raise the children. The government helps with their education. The government feeds the children. Agencies are created to protect the children. And we all know this. We all know this. We all want better than that. Okay? That, I, I know that. We all want better than that. The Bible lays out a plan that's better than that, but we have to remember that communities don't raise kids, and, and parents raise kids, and it's important that we just remember what God says. Now get this. What God says is normal. Okay? The definition of marriage is one man and one woman forever. Okay? That's, a, that's what, now just listen. That's normal. Anything outside of that is not normal. Hasn't that whole story been flipped in our society? That, oh no, normal can be, no, that's normal. That's it. That, that's the normal one. Anything outside of that is not what God's plan is. Take a look at this verse. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to look at this verse today. Beware, just be careful, be cautious, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. What's vain? Vain's like about me, right? So lies that benefit me, deceit that helps me. You be careful lest someone says, this is what I want. This is what's best for me. You be careful about that. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after, what's the last, last word? You be careful that someone sets up a standard that says, well, this is what I think is right. This is what's best for me, and it's not following this book. Is, is that what the Bible says, yes or no? Okay, that's what the definition of marriage. And, and I want you just to kind of remember that. Here's the second one I want us to look at. Take a look at this one. Sex, sexual relations. The Bible is very clear on that, that sexual relations are only to be in marriage. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's interesting. Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Do you know what God did? Do you know what God did? He, he lit, this, is, this, is, this is amazing. He literally took his hand on a, on a brick of stone, a chunk of stone, and literally, literally carved into stone some commandments. And one of them was very clear. Sex is only in the context of marriage. He only made ten rules, and that was one of them, and he carved it with his hand in stone. Now, you don't really think God cares. You don't think he cares that he actually carved it in the stone? I think he cared a lot about it. I think it was a really big deal. Go back to our key verse. Go back to our key verse. Beware, church, be careful lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain, de uh, vain deceit after the tradition of men. Pastor, what, 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 what planet do you live on? everyone's doing it. Everyone does it. Everyone does it. People don't even get married anymore. It's, just, it's a joke. It's just, pastor, this is what we all do. Really? Church, beware lest you're spoiled through the tradition of men. Everyone's doing it and not after what? What's the last word, church? Of Christ. Isn't this uncomfortable? 
I don't think I like this. <laughs> this is tough. I don't think anyone's going to come back to church next week. <laughs> Number three, talking about the real versus the ideal. Take a look at this one. Work. Work. What the Bible says versus what man says. The, the Bible's pretty clear that the husband and the wife really need to be providing for the needs of the family. In the New Testament, we see a lot of places. I, I think of the book of Second Thessalonians. It was a, a letter written to a church. He just said really carefully, listen, guys, you know, if you're not working, you shouldn't be eating, okay? What's become real in our society, what's become normal in our society is that the government will take care of us. Church, <laughs> as much as we all like our $600 stimulus check, it's not God's plan that the government takes care of us. Now, the government takes care of people that are in need of it. The government takes care of people with physical disabilities or mental. I, I get all that. Or, or, you know, people disaster. I get all that, right. But the norm shouldn't be, the norm shouldn't be, the norm shouldn't be that the government takes care of us. The norm should be that we take care, okay? We work to eat. If you're able to work, you go work. If you're able to provide a living, you provide a living. It, it's a good thing to have the stress of work. Do you know that? How about this? It was over in the New Testament. How if you go all the way over to the very beginning of the Bible and look at the very first couple, Adam and Eve? Do you know what he did? You know what God did? He had, the, he had the guts to do this. He told Adam right here in the very beginning of the Bible, he said, Adam, before I even make you a wife, before we even talk about this whole marriage thing, I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to be a farmer and work the field. Now, time out. Think for a moment, church. Think. It was a perfect world. There was no sin. There were no weeds. There was nothing wrong with it. But the very first thing God told Adam to do is you need to have a job. Think about it. What do I need to do in the garden? Everything just grows. I don't know. Just start digging. Do something. <laughs> Clean it up. Sweep the garden. Do something, right? But the very first thing he did before he had a wife, before he even made her wife, I want you to take care of that. I want you to work, okay? Church, all I'm saying is the point I'm trying to get at I'm not trying to put a guilt complex on it. The point I'm trying to get at is society has flipped that to where that is not the normal anymore. It's not. It's become the abnormal. It's weird if you have a job. Go back to our verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware, church. Look out. Beware. Be careful lest any man trick you or spoils you or, or deceives you after the rudiments or the principles or the doctrines or the laws of the world. But this is, what, this is the way it is. This is what we should be heading towards. This is what we should be doing. Where, where government should just always be taking care of us and we should just stay at home. You be careful that you're not fooled by the rules of the world and not after, what's the last word, church? This book right here, the words of Christ. You just be careful that you don't get flipped upside down in this. How about number four? The next one, real versus ideal, our faith, our faith. The world has done a great job at flipping that too, haven't they? Church involvement is an integral part of the family life. If we go over to the book of Hebrews, which is all the way over in the right-hand side of the Bible, and, and it, it, talks about, it talks about a couple things. It talks about, number one, about being together whenever the church doors are open, but it also talks about being involved in other people's lives in the context of a New Testament church, okay? So, just get this for a moment. Okay, just, everybody ready? Think, think, ready? Think. This, what we're doing right now, you see it? Everyone look around the room. Look around the room right now. Everyone look around. Okay, you see what we're doing? This is normal. 
It's, normal. it's God's plan, the New Testament church. Take a look at our key verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Beware, beware, church. You better watch out lest anyone spoils you through philosophy. No, we don't, no, no, we don't. We don't need this book. Listen, listen. There's, there's, there's a lot better things. There's a lot better authors out there. You know, all the different psychologists, all the different, you know, socialist planners, all the different government political leaders, they've got a better plan how you should spend your time. You be careful about philosophies. Look at the verse. Ready? Help me out. Beware about the philosophies that are not after who? You better be careful, church. Faith, living together, serving together in your local church is normal. Last one we're going to look at. How about this one? Personal character. What's personal character? Personal character is our values, our attitudes, our morals, that they come from this book. Okay? What is normal, church, ready? What is normal is that we teach our children character traits about love, about kindness, about forgiveness, about long-suffering, about love, about joy, about peace, about all these character traits come from this book and not from a book on psychology. That's what's normal is when we look at this book for our values and our character trait. Now, if that's God calling, tell him we'll be done in just a couple of minutes, right? <laughs> Take a look back at our verse again, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, because I want you to see it. Church, be careful. Again, that spoil you through any philosophy that's not after who? After Christ. Be careful. Your morals, your children's morals don't come from the Supreme Court, amen? Try it again. Parents, your children's morals don't come from the Supreme Court, Amen. Parents, your children's morals don't come from the public school system. Amen? Your morals come from what book? This book. Only this book. Okay? That's the only book that we get. So let's just real quick, let's just talk about marriage again real quick because I want you just to get this and let me just, let me just land on this again. I, I want you to understand the reason I talked about marriage was not, the point was not to make anyone feel guilty. Okay? Look past that. Don't see that. But the point was this. Parents, we still have to give our children a vision of what is ideal, okay? The real world is maybe you're living here as a single parent. Maybe things weren't, didn't go right. I don't know what the story is. I don't, maybe there's a death. I don't know. There's a million things, and, and, and some of it was just awful and terrible. If you told me the story, I'd cry and I'd agree with you. That's not the point. The point is that here's where we're at right now, but little, little Billy, little Susie, I want you to know that God's plan, God's ideal plan was to be one man and one woman in one household together with their children. That's the ideal. I, want, I think it's so important that we don't steal this from the next generation just because society says, well, you know, that's not a big deal anymore. That's not a big thing anymore. I think it really is. And if we're ever going to talk about parenting, we have to include the context of marriage. We have to talk about marriage. If we don't show the next generation the importance of God's plan for marriage, the nuclear family, we are going to miss it because if we don't play that out, if we don't show that, we are literally stealing from the next generation and they are going to have a mess in their hands. And I'll tell you this right here. If, if, if we don't get back on track as a nation with marriage, I'm just telling you right now, we will pay for this for generations to come. And I'll tell you who's going to pay for it. It's not going to be the guys. It's going to be the women and the children. They're the ones that are going to be paying the highest price 
for the breakdown of the nuclear family in the United States of America and around the world. They're the ones that are going to pay for it. So parents, it is just so absolutely essential. We never downplay that. We never, we never hide away from that. But we show them this is God's equation. This is God's plan for the ideal. This is God's plan for what it should look like. And, and this is what your future should look like. Years ago, we had, uh, you know, I've been an addiction recovery counselor for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Uh, I've been doing it. And, and we had, a, we had a, a person over to our house one time. And they came over for dinner, and, and they were coming over for dinner a lot. person who was working, getting through their addiction, person uh, was a single parent, single parent with their kid, and, and working and getting through the struggles of life and, and paying all the bills and all that. And they came over, and, and they had dinner with us a few times, and, and I, I just, I'll never forget the time this person said to me, said, you know, we came to your house, and we had dinner. Now get this. I had never seen this in my life. I never saw a family get down for dinner without screaming, without yelling, without a few beers, without someone being drunk, and actually praying before a meal, I never saw what a nuclear family looked like. Whew. But they said this, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't forget it. You can't, you can't walk away from that. And I remember just in my mind just thinking, you know, a lot of people have no idea what God's ideal plan for marriage is or what God's ideal plan for raising a family. They don't, which is why we're talking about it today. And when that person said, I just never saw what normal looked like until I came here, <laughs> which is a pretty sad case when they look at the Rehoff's house and they call that normal. But <laughs> to see a husband come home with a paycheck and take care of the needs of the family, to see a family that prayed together, to see a family that there wasn't swearing all the time, to see a family where the TV set wasn't blaring during the whole meal. It, it was unheard of to this person. But this person said this, although I won't have that right now because of choices I've made and decisions I've gone through and, and the way I'm living, what, what things are going through right now, although I've never had that, at least for my kids, I can set a vision. That's what it's supposed to look like. And if we're going to raise our kids or our grandkids, we have to have that vision that that's what it's supposed to look like, that there is a family, that there is marriage, and it is one man and it is one woman, till death do us part. And the church said, amen. It's so countercultural, so much tension when you even talk about that nowadays. 10, 20 years ago, there wasn't. Just look, look at this quote here, and, and we'll be done. Parenting is first and foremost about preparing our children for their future, which requires us to cast a compelling vision for the future. So parenting, first and foremost, is, is about preparing our children for the future, which requires us to cast a compelling vision for their future. We've got to show them this is what God's ideal plan is when it comes to relationships and, and, and marriage and work and, and morals and all these things. They're from the Bible, and God casts these things and puts, puts them out there for us. So church, listen, let's just never resist this. Let's never, let's never tell you, if we're going to resist something, let's resist culture. Let's resist the culture's potential that they have to steal the, the dream of the family from the next generation. Let's resist society that doesn't see this is the ideal plan. And the whole time we're looking at that, no matter where you're at today, we're still going to shoot for it, okay? You may be in a position, you say, oh, Pastor, all those things you showed me, I'm just so messed up. Okay, okay, God knows that. We know that. You know that. Okay, great. 
but you can still shoot for what's ideal. You can still see that's a plan. This is the idea that God has. And we need to be able to cast that vision to our kids. Parents, have you talked to your kids about what marriage is? Even if yours doesn't exist, have you talked to them? Have you told them? That's wrong, but this is right. That, that's, that, that's not the plan God had, but this is the plan God has. Have you ever talked to them? Have you communicated that to them? When you see a TV show or movie stars and they're flaunting their lifestyle, you say, you know what? That's wrong. Click. Ooh. The movie comes on and that they're doing whatever. Or they're talking. You know what? We're leaving. Pastor, are you a nut? Possibly. Possibly. Pastor, are you old-fashioned? Possibly. <laughs> it's still what the Bible says. Okay? The, now listen to this. I'm just going to read this quote. It's not up on the screen, but it's on your sheet. Would you just follow along as I read this? The risk of attempting to raise a child without regard for God's blueprint for child rearing as clearly set forth in his blueprint includes a child. So if you attempt to raise a child without regard for God's, God's word will include a child who is ill-behaved, disrespectful, destructive, self-destructive, irresponsible, inattentive, careless, aggressive, self-centered, deceitful, whew, and so on. The risks to the child's parents include chronic frustration, stress, anxiety, anger, resentment, conflict, and guilt. This is a fact. If you depart from God's plan in any area of your life, you will experience more and more serious problems than you would have encountered otherwise. This is also a fact. If you adhere to God's plan in your life, you will still experience sadness, pain, frustration, and heartache because we live in a fallen world. But you will endure and you will eventually come out on top. That's God's promises to us. Any parent who so chooses can realign his or her child-rearing with God's plan and begin to experience success. Does that make sense? Is that a good quote? It is. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that. Matter of fact, I want you to talk about it. Matter of fact, I'll give you permission on this too. You can go home and you can even argue about that if you want to. That's fine. You have permission from the pastor to argue about it, okay? You can argue about what we talked about. That's fine. Well, what we're going to do, we're going to pick up this discussion for the sake of time. We're going to pick it up next week. Okay, and we're going to keep going on here, all right? But today, we really kind of laid a foundation for what is ideal versus where we're living right today, which is what is real, okay? Did you get that? Are you with me? All right, we're going to pick this up next week. Let me leave you with this. We mentioned this verse earlier. Aren't you thankful that God so loved the world, which is me and you, as sinners right where we're at, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. It doesn't say whoever gets their marriage together. It doesn't say whoever lives a perfect life. It doesn't say whoever raises their kids right. It doesn't say whoever got baptized. It said whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his death paid the sin debt for all mankind. And God said, I just want you to believe it. I just want you to simply believe it. Yes, God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay my sin. But I know that Jesus paid it on the cross of Calvary. Died, buried, three days later, rose again. The debt was paid. I can't do it, but I believe Jesus did it for me. When you simply trust in that, you can know for certain you have eternal life. Okay? That is the good news of the gospel. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness. Lord, we're thankful for our study today. 
Lord, maybe someone today for the first time is putting their trust in what you did on the cross. Maybe there's someone that came today thinking they had to be a good person, and they're confused. Because, man, I've been trying to be good, but I just can't be good. But God requires perfection for heaven. I can't do it. Well, Father, we understand from the Scriptures that when Jesus died, He died because there was sin, because we couldn't pay it. And all God asks of us is that we would believe that Jesus Christ paid our debt for us and we can know for certain we have eternal life. Maybe someone today in the quietness of their mind has trusted Christ as their Savior. Would you give them a special blessing today? And Lord, I'd be happy to talk to anyone that had a question about that today. Thank you, Lord, for our study. And Lord, I know that today created some tension. I get it, I know. But Father, we can't ever lose the vision of what was ideal, what you planned for us. Although we live here today in the real and it's messy and we've all made mistakes and we all have regrets, but Father, we still have to be acknowledgeable of what God's plan is for successful parenting. Help us to understand that. Help us to know that today was preached with love to point us in the right direction. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Bring us back tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.